This evening's scripture reading will be read from 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Samuel also said unto Paul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare, not the, and spare them not. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling ox and sheep, cattle and ass. Good evening and welcome again to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. We're going to be looking tonight at 1 Samuel chapter 15. Before we do that, we do want to express appreciation to each and every person who is present tonight. If you're visiting, as always, we want you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're grateful for the number of visitors that come our way from week to week, those who have desired to place membership, those who are now working with us, and if you're in the process of looking for a church home, we do invite you to give consideration to the work here at Olive Branch. We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 15 tonight. The theme of our study, a dereliction of duty. Both the Old and New Testaments encourage obedience to God. I think it's interesting that Jesus, when he began his public ministry, emphasized the importance of obeying the will of Almighty God. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And then John in the Revelation, in Revelation chapter 22 at verse 14, before he laid aside the pen of inspiration, closed by encouraging people of every age to be obedient to God. He said, Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and enter through the gates into the city. As you know, Saul had been anointed king over Israel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we find God giving this man, Saul, a very specific order to go and to utterly destroy the Amalekites. And we find in chapter 15, Saul's response to the task that was before him. And so tonight I want us to look at how Saul responded to the task that God set before him to go and to utterly destroy the Amalekite people. And as we look at this particular lesson text, we're going to be talking about an individual who was derelict in his duty before God. So look at chapter 15 with me, if you would. The first thing that I call your attention to is the directive or the command that was given by God to Samuel the prophet, and Samuel in turn relayed this message to King Saul. So look at verse 1, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did 
to Israel. Now when we talk about the basis for this command, verse 2 as well as verse 3, gives us insight into why God wanted the Amalekite people destroyed. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 25, you'll find that Moses there recounts how when the people of God left Egyptian bondage, how the Amalekite people attacked them. As a matter of fact, Moses says that, or Moses said that the Amalekites attacked the rear. And thus, those who were straggling and those who were weary, they were the ones who fell prey to the Amalekite people. And so God said, once you get into the land and possess it, and once God has given you rest, I want you to utterly blot out these people. And so, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, that's exactly what God is calling upon King Saul to do. And so, verse 2. I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he laid in wait for him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now in verse 4 we find Saul and his people setting themselves in battle array. And so, in verse 4, the Bible says that Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telem, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. And so, here is this directive or divine command given by Almighty God. Now, note if you would, the disobedience or the dereliction of duty, if you please, the contempt of Saul. Note what is said, beginning in verse 6. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah, all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took King Agag of the Amalekites alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. So first of all, you have the soldiers and their attack. And then the sparing of Agag and the spoil of the Amalekites. The Bible says that Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. And so, the disobedience of King Saul. God had said, I want you to go and to utterly destroy the Amalekites. The Bible tells us that Saul did not heed the command of Almighty God. And so now we think in the third place of the disappointment. When I think about the disappointment, it's reflected in two ways. Sometimes when we talk about being disappointed, the hurt that accompanies disappointment, it's reflected in, in the life of Samuel, and it's also reflected 
in the mind of God. And so look at verse 9. The word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned his back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So here we have God relaying to Samuel that this command that I have given Saul to execute, he failed, he failed. He didn't execute it. And so, by way of disappointment, first of all, I would suggest that deity was hurt. Whenever we choose to disobey, to disobey the commands of God, ultimately we are hurting the heart of God. The Bible sometimes speaks of God being grieved over the sins of mankind. I think about in Genesis chapter 6 when God decreed that He was going to destroy the world by means of a universal flood. The Bible says that every imagination of the thought of man's heart was only evil continually. It repented the Lord that He had made man and grieved Him at His heart. Now, it's true that this was a disappointment to Samuel, the prophet, the one who had anointed Saul as king, but ultimately it was a disappointment to God. God had, God had installed Saul as king. And yet here is Saul disobeying his word. I'm reminded of his successor, David. David, you recall, was a man after God's own heart. And yet David made some very foolish mistakes in his life. Over in 2 Samuel chapter, chapters 11 and 12, we read of his adulterous union with Bathsheba. Not only did he engage in an adulterous union with Bathsheba, but the Bible tells us that he had her husband, Uriah the Hittite, killed on the front line of battle. He sought to cover up what he had done. And so... In Psalm 51, what is often called the penitential psalm, we find David saying in the long ago, against you and you only have I sinned and done this great wickedness in your sight. When we are disobedient to the will of God, ultimately we hurt Almighty God. It may be true that we hurt other people. It might be the case that we hurt friends and neighbors, but ultimately we hurt the heart of God. And so I believe that Saul hurt God, that he disappointed God. But not only was his disobedience a, dis a disappointment to God or to deity, but it was a disappointment to God's disciple, Samuel. That is, his servant, Samuel. Look again at verse, look again at verse 11. The Bible says, It grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Have you ever been disappointed because of the actions of, of a friend or a family member? Or maybe somebody who is a member of the body of Christ has done something that has hurt you very badly. I can think of people that have had great talents and could have used those talents had they been harnessed in the right direction. They could have used those talents to the glory of Almighty God, but they chose to they chose a path that ultimately led them away from God. And thus they became a great disappointment. 
Many years ago, I can remember my dad talking about a man that was of great ability in the Chattanooga area, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And my dad said that this man, bar none, could have been the, the best preacher in that area. But this guy got mixed up in a life of sin, became unfaithful to the Lord, began living in adultery, thus leaving the Lord's church, leaving the faithful. And so many of God's people, no doubt disappointed and hurt because of the actions of this man. I think about the Apostle Paul over in 2 Timothy chapter 4. When Paul wrote to Timothy his last inspired letter, and he talked about Demas. Demas at one time had been a faithful servant of the Lord. He had been a co-laborer of Paul. And yet when Paul wrote in AD 68 to, to Timothy, he said, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. I think Demas was a disappointment to the Apostle Paul. And I believe that King Saul was a disappointment to Samuel the prophet. You just think about somebody that you admire, that you appreciate, that, you've, that you have loved. Maybe you've nurtured them. Maybe you've encouraged them. And then they have chosen a path, chosen a direction in life that leads them away from service to God and thus literally breaks your heart. Well, the disappointment. But then in the fourth place, we find the dishonesty. You know, when you talk about sin and you talk about disobedience, you're, you're talking about a way of life where people begin moving away from Jehovah God. They're taking steps away from the Lord. And so now we begin to see the heart of King Saul, his corruption. And so note, first of all, his false assessment. Picking up in verse 12. When Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he has set up a monument for himself, and he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have performed the commandments of the Lord. Now you want to talk about a blatant lie. That's a blatant lie. Had he indeed performed the commands of Almighty God? Had he done what God through the prophet had said to do? To go and to utterly destroy the Amalekites? To spare none? Listen now to what Samuel says. What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? And the lowing, and, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear. You can just imagine this confrontation. Here, here, are, here are two men. Samuel is the one that has appointed King Saul for this task. And Saul is saying, I perform the commands of the Lord. And then behind him, he begins this, this echoing of, of the flocks of the animals begins to come to the ears of, of Samuel. You can just imagine what Samuel is thinking. You're trying to tell me that you have performed the will of God. 
Well, what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, or rather they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. That's all well and good, but what did God say? God said, I want you to utterly destroy the Amalekites. And so Samuel said to Saul, be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord has said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel, and did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back King Agag of Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. A couple of things here. First of all, there is a false assessment. Saul said, I perform the commands of the Lord. But then there is a faulty assumption. That assumption is reflected in his words in verse 20. He said, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag king of Amalek and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, the sheep, the oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. What was the problem here? Apparently Saul assumed that if he kept back the best of the spoils of the Amalekite people that God would be pleased. That he could sacrifice those things to God and that would be acceptable. You and I must never assume that we can circumvent the will of God for our own will and our own wishes. Sometimes people have noble intentions. It may have been the case that Saul had noble intentions. Maybe in his heart of hearts, he thought if we keep back the best of the spoil and offer these things to God, then he'll be pleased and everything's going to be okay. The problem was, however, that God said, this is what I want you to do. Now you just think about how many people in our world today assume that God will be pleased with certain things that He's not commanded. I think about individuals in the world today. In the realm of worship, for example that assume because they're talented and because God has blessed them with certain abilities that they can come into a worship setting and engage in specific things that God has not commanded. You might ask the question, well, what are you talking about? Well, what about somebody who is very talented musically? And let's say that person is very gifted as maybe a piano player, or a guitarist, or maybe they play the harp. 
And so they say, you know, what I want to do is glorify God using my talents. Well, that's all well and good. The problem is God nowhere commanded us to use instrumental music in our worship to Him. The Bible says in Colossians 3 at verse 16 that we are to sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. We're not to use instrumental music. What about somebody who says, you know, God has blessed me with a beautiful voice. And so what I'd like to do is stand up and maybe sing a solo. Or maybe there are three or four of us and we have, maybe we've gotten together and we've put a quartet together. What we want to do is get up in worship and sing to the congregation. Well, that's all well and good. The only problem is nowhere in the New Testament do we have the authority for a choir. Or a quartet. You see, the Bible authorizes congregational singing. Somebody says, but. That was the problem with, with King Saul. Sometimes we have the idea that, that maybe we know better than God. Look again. Back up, if you would, in 1 Samuel chapter 15. God had said to King Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekite people. But look at verse 8. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, etc. Whenever you hear individuals start talking about certain things in the spiritual realm and they say, but, you better watch out. What we need to do is submit to the will of God. We may not understand it. We may not necessarily like it. But when God speaks and God says for us to do something, then we are obligated to do it. The prerequisite to entering the kingdom of heaven is what? Doing the will of the Father in heaven. Matthew 7 verse 21. What about in the realm of, of salvation? Sometimes individuals will say, I just don't understand why God commands us to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This past week, I just responded to an email in which a lady had been watching some of the television commercials that we've been airing on Channel 5, particularly as they relate to New Testament baptism. And so in her email correspondence, she talked about the thief on the cross, and she wanted to know, why we would suggest that a person has to be baptized into Christ, in her mind, baptism is simply a sign or a symbol of one's salvation. Well, that may sound fine and good. The problem is, nowhere in the Bible do you read that. No, the Bible teaches us that baptism precedes salvation. Mark 16, verse 16. Baptism precedes remission of sins. Acts 2, verse 38. Baptism precedes the washing away of sins. Acts 22, verse 16. What we have to do is say, all right, Lord, this is what you want. This is what I'm going to do. What about the work of the church? There are a lot of people in our world today that say, you know what we need to do is look out and see what the latest fad on the market is, decide what the people want, decide what's, gonna, what's going to draw the biggest crowd, and then We'll put that into motion, and thus the people will flock in. You see, God said that what we are to do is preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
that we're to honor His Word. If we do what God says in His Word, we don't have to make concessions to grow, to become what God would have us to be in a local setting. No, I believe that Isaiah had it right in Isaiah 55 when he said that God's Word would not return to him void. You and I, we can grow and go forward for the cause of Christ in a positive way without making any, any kinds of concessions to the will of God. As a matter of fact, to concede, to back up, to turn back from following the will of God would be wrong. And so, I think about the false, the false assessment of King Saul and his faulty assumption. And sometimes we make faulty assumptions when it comes to the will of God today. But then I want you to note finally his dismissal. And really, now we're talking about the consequences that face King Saul. Look at verse 22. Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. For every action, there is a reaction. The Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Saul had made some grave mistakes in this situation. And because of that, God is going to do some things to him that ultimately... He's not going to like. What kind of consequences did King Saul face? Number one, God rejected him as being king. In other words, he was rejected by God. God removed King Saul. Now somebody says, you know, that didn't seem like a bad thing. I mean, all he did was spared the very best. What's wrong with that? Well, listen again to what Samuel the prophet said. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? What's God interested in? He's interested in obedience. Absolute, undying obedience. Submission to His will. Whatever God says, that's what we want to do. And because Saul disobeyed God, he was rejected. Not only was he rejected by God, but he was removed by God. If you'll read the latter part of this chapter, what you'll find out is God is setting in motion to remove Saul as king over the United Kingdom. Now you just think about that. Here is Saul, a man of great power, a man of prestige, a man, no doubt, of great wealth. And God said, I've rejected you. Not only have I rejected you, but I'm going to remove you. God has that kind of power. We talk about the Most High ruling in the kingdoms of men and God being at work in the affairs of man. 
Well, God was at work in the affairs of the Israelite people. He's at work today. God rejected this man. God removed this man. And finally, God replaced this man. In chapter 16, the Bible tells us, look over in chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Or verse 1, rather. Then the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, and go, I am sending you to Jesse, the, the one, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. What was God saying? God was saying in the long ago, I am removing King Saul and I am replacing him with David, the son of Jesse. I think there's a lesson there for us. And that lesson is simply this. Sometimes we get to thinking maybe we're bigger and more powerful than we should think. Have you ever heard people talk about how they are indispensable? That a particular work could not go on, could not survive without them? There are people in the realm of business that have the idea that if something happened to them, that business would fold up. In the spiritual realm, there are individuals who have the idea that everything revolves around them in the local church. That's not true. Listen very carefully. This congregation was here before I got here. This congregation, the Lord willing, will be here when I leave. Keith Mosher said on one occasion, if a man comes into a congregation and preaches for a period of time and leaves and takes people with him, he has not done his job. The church is bigger than any one man. You and I are not indispensable. If you think you're indispensable, let me just encourage you to do this. Fill a bucket with water. And then put your hand down in that water. And once you've submerged your hand in water, pull it out. And just notice how fast that water closes back up. The work of the church will go on without missing a beat. Saul may have thought he was indispensable. How wrong he was. And there are people sometimes in the Lord's church who think of themselves more highly than they ought to think. The church was here before they got here and the church will be here after they are long gone. What you and I need to do is find an area in which we can serve, do our dead level best, and then when we finish or come to the end of life's road, lay aside this earthly mantle, and go home to be with the Lord. But the church is going to go on. The work of the kingdom of God will go on. Now you think about Saul. I think about also certain opportunities for work that come up, that come up from time to time. 
And you and I, we have the opportunity to either engage in particular works or we can say no. But I'm reminded of the story of Esther in the long ago when Mordecai entreated her to intercede on behalf of her people because of the terrible plot of Haman. And Mordecai said unto Esther in the long ago, who knows whether you're come to the kingdom for such a time as this. But what you need to understand is this. If you're not willing to intercede on behalf of the people of God, listen, God will raise up somebody else. You and I, we have opportunities before us. We may choose to do those things that God puts before us, or we may choose to ignore them. But ultimately, God will accomplish His will. He'll do it with us or without us. He'll do it with your help and my help, or He'll do it with somebody else. The will of God is going to be paramount in all things. So that's why we need to be obedient. When you look at the life of Saul, Saul chose to ignore the will of Almighty God. And God said, all right, you're disobedient, that's fine. I'll raise up somebody else and I'll use him. So what we want to do is be obedient to the will of God, to do what he says, to do it the right way, to live in such a way so that one day God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. In closing tonight, let me just ask this question. Have you been obedient to the will of God? Have you done what Jesus said to do in terms of your salvation? Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, verse 16. If you're here tonight and you've not been baptized into Christ, we're going to urge you to do that this very hour, to wash away every sin, Acts 22, 16. God will then add you to the church, Acts 2, 47. And if you're faithful till death, the crown of life awaits you, Revelation 2, 10. If you're unfaithful, could we pray with you and for you? God will abundantly pardon. Would you come as we stand and sing?